Is a green wave about to wash over Canada ahead of the next federal election? Can the party led by Elizabeth May turn warm and fuzzy feelings into votes and seats in the House of Commons? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. A new Abacus data poll shows the federal Greens with 12% support. Heady days for the party that's tried to crack double-digit support forever in Canada. Digging deeper in those numbers, more than one-third of voters say they would consider voting Green. It appears young Canadians are fueling the fire of support with almost 6 in 10 under 30s kicking the tires. And it's not the first time the Greens were seen to be on the cusp of a breakthrough, but always seems stymied by strategic voting. And is this any different? There's still plenty of racetrack before we go to the polls, but it's certainly wind in the sails of the Green Party's morale. Today on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at what it will take for the Greens to turn the corner. At the provincial level, the Greens have seen victories electing their first MPP to the Ontario legislature. The Green Party is the official opposition in PEI, and it holds the balance of power in BC. Joining us later in the show will be Paul Manley, the second ever Green Party MP in the House of Commons after winning the by-election in Nanaimo Ladysmith. To get an overview of the issue and whether the Greens can make it reality, I am pleased to be joined by Nelson Wiseman, Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto. And Nelson, did the numbers in this abacus survey surprise you or have you seen this before? They don't surprise me. They're a little higher than some other polls. If we go to the CBC's poll tracker, they've got the Greens, I think, just over 10%. But I discount a lot of polls taken at this point because, as you pointed out, Ed, a lot of people vote strategically. So when they're answering the question long before an election in an abstract way, they'll say, oh, yeah, I like the Greens. But when push comes to shove and they realize that that party is not going to win, then they start thinking, well, and and it seems only a liberal or conservative can win in their riding, then they end up making the strategic choice, thinking, okay, well, which would be better? This is what hurt the NDP in the last election, and it's hurt the Greens in all of the elections. In fact, one of my observations is this. If you go back to past elections and look at polls six months or a year before the election, the Greens are always higher than they actually end up performing in the election. I think that'll happen again this time, although there are a lot of unpredictables. Much will have to do with what kind of what kind of profile Elizabeth May gets during the actual campaign period, whether she gets the same time in a in a TV debate, for example, as the other leaders. If she does, that's incredible upside potential, because in that type of format, everyone is equal. Everyone gets equal time. But if she's blocked out of the debates, then it's as if they're not in the race. So that has a great influence. And we just don't know how that's going to play out. Now, would you say that strategic voting has pretty well been the, I guess, the Achilles heel of the Green Party? It doesn't seem it's the other political parties that they're opposition. It's getting people to commit to the Greens. Yeah, it's been their Achilles heel. And I think also the NDPs, um, with, the ex- um, with the exception of 2011. 2011 is the only time... In history, since the NDP's predecessor was formed, the CCF in 1932, that the NDP got the same percentage of seats 
slightly more than its percentage of the vote. So, uh, you know, but I do see upside potential for the Greens. I think they're going to hold on to their two seats. I think they can win Victoria. Uh, and I think they might win some other seat on the West Coast. I don't see them doing anything outside of um, outside of British Columbia. And you mentioned Prince Edward Island. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to have a hard time getting 10, 15 percent of the vote in any of in any of those four ridings. But, you know, I'm wrong most of the time. <laughs> Nelson Wiseman's joining us from the University of Toronto as we talk about the Green Party, the federal Green Party, and uh, some uh, rosy numbers uh, from an abacus data survey for them cracking uh, about 12% support. And, you know, when, when we look at a situation for, for the Green Party and, you know, breaking back demographics here, uh, it looks most like most of uh, young Canadians are really taking a look at the Green Party. What does that tell you? People are engaged or they're just kind of curious? Well, let's remember, young people are the least likely to vote in elections. Their numbers went up in the last election because of... Uh, Justin Trudeau, his more youthful image than the other leaders, his proposal to legalize marijuana. But um, I expect voter turnout this time will be down, and I think it'll be down for young people, um, maybe more than for other cohorts of the population. The, the group that's more, the older people are, except when you get beyond the 80s, uh, the more likely people are to vote. So the polls may may not be a good reflection of how people will actually vote. I mean, let's remember, we'll be last time we had exceptionally high turnout. It was sixty eight percent. We hadn't had that in I don't know, maybe a, three decades or so. We may only get a sixty percent turnout this time, and uh, if that's the case among young people, it's going to be less than fifty percent. You know, the Green Party, we had mentioned making more noise in provincial politics across Canada. We've got Mike Shiner, Shriner is the first Ontario MPP Green Party member. Uh, we've as mentioned PEI, the opposition in BC, they hold a balance of power. How much is that sort of putting the Green Party on the big stage for voters to look at? Well, it has. It has. I mean, they got a lot of attention because of PEI, although PEI is a very very, very small jurisdiction. It'll only have four seats out of 338 in the House of Commons. Um, British Columbia is a rather separate case because that's where there's the greatest environmental consciousness, especially right on the coast. And both uh, Nanaimo and uh, uh, Saanich Gulf Islands, which Elizabeth May represents, both are on tidewater. So that's different. Yes, the uh, Greens made a breakthrough in Ontario. They have one seat. They've been cultivating that constituency, I think, for about 20 years. You know, they made a strategic choice to just go and concentrate on the riding where they've done the best, which is how Elizabeth May got elected, because she originally ran in Nova Scotia and got blown out of the water. The, but I looked up the uh, polls for Ontario earlier today, and what struck me was how low support for the Green Party was. I, I don't I don't remember exactly, but it was around four percent. So, uh, um, I, I it's, and I certainly don't see that translating 
uh, into the federal level. I mean, maybe they'll get four, five, six percent in Ontario, but I'm skeptical. I think the Greens are going to do best in British Columbia, both in popular vote and in seats that if they win, in seats they win. In fact, uh, they hold two now. Uh, I said I think they can win four, and they'll all be in British Columbia. So uh, it could be, you know, and this wouldn't be a defeat for them because the more seats they get in the House of Commons, the more legitimacy it gives them in the eyes of the public. And with respect to Prince Edward Island, you may have a phenomenon like you had in... um, in New Brunswick 30 years ago, where out of the blue, all of a sudden, the Confederation of Regents Party was the official opposition. In the following election, they weren't there anymore. Mind you, they were largely disaffected conservatives. Prince Edward Island is interesting, though, because it has a very traditional political culture, and this is showing how it's becoming modernized in in its politics. So there are probably very uh, peculiar particular local issues that drive um, uh, the vote in Prince Edward Island, where people are much more likely to know each other. You know, it seems the the rise in support, according to some of the numbers for the Green Party, is coming at the expense of the Liberals. Is this something the Liberals should be concerned about? Yes, the Liberals, and I think especially the NDP, uh, because those... um, you know, I mean, the NDP isn't going to form the government. I think it's going to lose seats in this coming election because I don't see it winning any seats in Quebec. But uh, yes, of course, the Liberals are going to lose because if you're one of these young people or another person who who re, who's a greenie who wants to support the Greens, who really care, who thinks they're the only ones that are um, really committed on environment. Um, and then you look around and realize, well, they're not going to win in your constituency. When you shop around, you say, okay, well, then there's the NDP, which has quite a progressive um, policy on, on climate change. Yeah, but they're not going to win in my constituency either. So that leaves the liberals and conservatives and uh, the conservatives based on their record and and their platform haven't offered that much on the environmental mm-hmm. issues. So, of course, that's going to hurt the... Uh, it, then you end up going back to the Liberals. So, uh, yes, green support has taken away from the Liberals, but that's the kind of support, and it has in past polls as well before other elections, and those people, a lot of them, swing back to the Liberals. And that's... I come back to one of my first points is in Every election that the Greens have been running since they started, the the final percentage that they get in the election is never as high as their percentage in the polls. But if they drop from uh, you know ten or twelve percent to eight percent, that's a gigantic leap. I mean, I think they had what four or five percent in the last election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nelson, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. Nelson Wiseman is director of the Canadian Studies Program as well as professor of political science at the University of Toronto. It's been a month since the federal Green Party made headlines and history by getting its second MP elected to the House of Commons. Paul Manley won the by-election in Nanaimo Ladysmith, doubling Green Party representation in the House. Green Party leader Elizabeth May was the first Green MP. To find out more about the victory and what it means heading into the next federal election, I am pleased to be joined by 
Paul Manley. And first off, Paul, congratulations on the win. Well, thank you very much. Now, your political roots were with the NDP. Why the change to green? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a long story, but uh, it dates back, I guess, to 2012 um, when my dad was on a boat to Gaza and um, I was the family member at home that supported him when he was seized in international waters and taken to an Israeli detention center and uh, held in communicado for five days. And uh, at the time, I tried to get somebody to speak up for my dad, and uh, my own MP uh, wasn't able to. She couldn't speak for my father. Told me she wasn't allowed to. Uh, so then I was told to speak to the foreign affairs critic who ignored me for several days and I wrote a letter to the NDP caucus and uh, asked them why they were ignoring an elder statesman in the party and, and nobody would speak up for him and I said that Tommy Douglas, in that letter I said Tommy Douglas would have stood up for my dad and I knew Tommy, I cam campaigned with uh, Tommy on my 16th birthday, I campaigned with him a bunch but I spent my 16th birthday with him getting my dad elected and uh, he didn't always uh, do what was popular, but he did what was right. And, uh, that letter that I wrote to the NDP caucus was leaked to the media. And the next day I got a call from, uh, Peter O'Neill and, uh, the Vancouver Sun and Ottawa citizen. And he asked me if that was my letter. And I said, yeah. He asked me if I was disappointed with the NDP not speaking out for my father. And I said, yes. And asked me what my Tom comments about Tommy Douglas. And I said, yeah, that's what I, that's how I feel. So, Years later, when I stepped up for the nomination, uh, that was the reason why they wouldn't let me run, because I was critical of the NDP, because I defended what my father's actions were. He was on a boat to Gaza with members of parliament from around the world, but mostly Europe, and uh, Jewish members of parliament from Europe, and uh, Israelis who uh, had been part of the defense force, and they were on a peace mission to break the, uh, the uh, blockade of Gaza. So Tom Mulcair would have nothing to do with me. So it's seven and, uh, years later. Yeah. So and Elizabeth May called me to talk to me and I've known Elizabeth since, uh, 1999. And I told her I wouldn't run green and she asked me several more times. And then I read vision green and I took the green train across Canada. I got hired to do that to, document that trip and got to know a lot more about Green Party policy and I was actually very impressed with the breadth and scope of uh, Green Party policy. Uh, it's much more in-depth than the NDP policy book and uh, so yeah, I eventually hopped in and ran in 2015, tripled the Green Party vote in, in the Nanaimo. At that point, we had the closest four-way race in Canada but uh, couldn't win based on the the Trudeau wave and the fear of the Harper re-election. So um, I wasn't sure I was going to run again in 2019, but uh, shortly after the 2015 election, I found out I was going to be a grandfather and just really felt the, the need to step up and, and work on defending the next generation. We are, we're leaving a huge burden to our children and grandchildren and climate change is a big part of that. And uh, so, yeah, I decided to run again, and I won in this by-election. You know, Paul, it, it seems it, it's the party that made you made you change by not speaking up for your father and, and wouldn't speak to you. Is the way the Green Party is run 
different than the way those other three parties are being run? Yeah. I've, I had a commitment in 2015 that I wouldn't be whipped, that I wouldn't be told how to vote or what to say, and that I was basically an independent member of parliament, or I would be an independent member of parliament. The key thing was that I had to agree to the Green Party policy book, and any parts of the policy book that I disagreed with, I had to be upfront and honest about what parts I disagreed with. And then if I have a, a disagreement with Elizabeth uh, on a policy issue, I just need to be straight with her about what that is and, and have that conversation. And then I'm free to uh, discuss that openly. But I don't have to go and ask Elizabeth if, if it's okay if I speak about a local issue um, that's got federal implications. So, you know, I'm... Uh, or or to speak for on behalf of a local constituent. Um there's much more latitude and trust to, for MPs to do their job. You know, when you were on the on, on the uh, campaign trail in, in the, uh, the the last by election, what what were you hearing at the door? Um, well, lots of really positive uh, support for me. I'm, I'm I'm well known in the community. I've done a lot of work for uh, local nonprofits and First Nations, and I'm, I'm a filmmaker. Uh, but I do a lot of service work, and I've um, been active in the community and the local food move, movement and the labor community, community social justice, uh, the environment, uh, obviously. And so I've been doing working on projects and doing things in this community that uh, people appreciate. And um, I think people were looking for a change. A lot of people are concerned about climate change. We've got here in on Vancouver Island, we had some very, very strong windstorms back in December that knocked a lot of the power out in our communities, but left trees down all over the place and have left debris all over the forest floor. We have had years of drought now. We are right now in a drought situation. We had, uh, in March, water levels that we can expect in our lakes and rivers uh, at August. And so we went into... um, water restrictions at the beginning of May and uh, uh, we're, we're going into level three water restrictions uh, on, on the island right now and we have cedars and fir trees dying in our forests and you know last summer we, we were just surrounded by smoke from forest fires in the, in the interior and it was creating problems for people's health um, and so there was a spike in healthcare visits because of uh, how it was affecting people's respiratory uh, situation. Insurance rates have gone up during, you know, because uh, because of the fires. Uh, and uh, it's really hard on our tourism industry. It's hard on our forest industry. So people are seeing the effects of climate change and, and understanding that, that this is a serious issue. And we also have an affordability crisis in Nanaimo. So affordable housing is a real problem now. And that's because... Uh, House prices over in Vancouver spiked, as many people know, over the last 15 years. It's just gone up and up and up. And so a lot of affordability refugees started buying in the Nanaimo area. But we've had money laundering and speculation in our market. And so that's starting to ha- happen here, I guess. And and prices, you know, houses were selling uh flipping and then the prices were going up people were renoing houses and evicting tenants and then 
those tenants uh, had to go find somewhere to live and the, the the cost of living had gone way up. And so people who are our most vulnerable members of our communities, seniors with fixed incomes, people with disabilities, single parent families, were all having a real hard time finding affordable places to live. And we had a huge homeless camp in our community last year. And that camp was just really uh, some of the hardest to house folks. There was like up to 300 people in it. But there was small camps all around the community. We had um, an increase in some criminality based on people living, um, you know, in survival mode. And then we had the soldiers of Odin come marching into town a couple of times, threatening vigilante action against homeless people. And so things kind of came to a crescendo last year. And we have now a couple of uh, emergency shelter setups, but that doesn't help those people that weren't in that camp. And so we have people sleeping in their cars and sleeping in the woods and uh, all over the community. And uh, so that's that's another issue that people are really concerned about here. It's, uh, a, you know, Nanaimo's been a working class town for a long, long time. And all of a sudden that's all changing. Paul Manley is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He won the by-election in Nanaimo, Lady Smith, becoming the second Green Party MP in the House of Commons. And, and you know, Paul, the, the one thing I've always found about the Green Party is usually anywhere from six months to a year before the election is probably when they have the most wind in their sails. But that dreaded strategic voting always seems to come back in the end and bring them down. How does the Green Party this time around beat strategic voting? Yeah, strategic voting. I think People have heard that line over and over and over again and uh, been disappointed by what they get over and over and over again. I mean, we, I think the strategic vote went to the Liberals last time, and what did we get? You know, we, we got a promise where the Prime Minister said 1,500 times that 2015 would be the last first-past-the-post election. And here we are, we're, we're going into 2019 with the first-past-the-post election. Uh, we had a, a prime minister who said that only only communities can, can provide permission and that we needed to, you know, change the, the uh, NEB process for, for uh, projects like pipelines. And then they went and bought a pipeline, you know. Uh, people are getting, are getting tired of being bamboozled by politicians and, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, we're not seeing the, the definition of insanity uh, playing out in this country over and over and over again when we go back and forth since confederation between the conservatives and the liberals. It's time for something different. And I think that that's a lot of what I heard at the doorstep, too, is that people really wanted wanted change. They wanted something different. They, they wanted a politician that they knew was going to be able to speak for their constituents and uh, not get whipped and told, you know, what to do by their leader. Because, you know, more and more we're just, we're starting to realize that that's how the system works. And I think uh, the Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott situation showed us that. But we've also, you know, seen that same situation with the Conservatives where, the conservatives were all whipped to to pretend that asbestos was safe, and that so they vote to say that asbestos is safe and, and vote against those things that they said that they were running against. And you know, the largest largest debts and deficits are run under uh, run 
up by conservatives in this country, and they're the ones that are always beating the drum about, you know, reducing the debt, reducing the deficit, and yet they're the ones that that that, that give us the largest deficits and the largest debts, and <clears throat> a lot of people are waking up to that. So, yeah, I'm sure we're going to hear the strategic vote again, uh, but. People need to, to just stop and think about what it is that they want and vote for what they want. And our system sucks, actually, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. The way this first-past-the-post system works, um, it's, it doesn't work for people. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help our electoral, electoral system. It's, I'm really disappointed with the Liberals. I mean, they had a mandate. They had a mandate to change the electoral system. They didn't need to run through a referendum or anything else. That promise was repeated so much that they could have just gone ahead and, and changed to a proportional system and nobody would have argued with it. I, I think it was repeated. I think it was repeated more than, than you ever heard about legalization of marijuana, because I don't recall that ever being a big issue till later in the debates. Yeah. It was more yeah. a distraction. Yeah. Well, it was a way of siphoning off votes. You know, like, don't worry, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure. Don't worry about the vote splitting. Just bring us in and we'll, t- we'll handle it. Yeah. So, Paul, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Paul Manley is the second ever Green Party MP in the House of Commons. He represents the BC riding of Nanaimo Ladysmith. And that leads to our poll question for unpublished.vote. Why do you think there's been a rise in support for the Green Party in Canada? And here are your options. Climate change, voter dissatisfaction, Green Party leader Elizabeth May, evidence-based decision-making, or other. And you can add your comments to that. We'd love to hear from you at unpublished.vote. You can log on and vote right now and make your voice heard, unpublished.vote. I want to thank you for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. I'm at hand.